Welcome to Five After Midnight. It's a new show where we talk about the things the way you would around a sleep-deprived kitchen table. When you've run five or more calls after midnight, your brain feels half gone, and you and your crew have absolutely no filter. Just pure honesty. The goal of this series is to kick around the small things that really aren't so small and have a big impact in the way our firehouses function. My name is Stephanie. I'm genuinely not an expert at anything. I'm just here to ask the sometimes awkward questions. Enjoy. Come too far, don't let this slip away. Fade out like they said we would. Hey listeners, this month I decided to do something slightly different, and that was to share a panel podcast that I did with some of my good friends around the Virginia and Maryland area. Stack from The Things We All Carry, TJ from Keep the Promise. And Mike from Tip of the Spear Leadership are some gentlemen who really are very devoted to the craft of leadership and mental health and resiliency. And I wanted to get this podcast in your hands so that you guys can potentially start some conversations like this around your own firehouse kitchen table. Hope you guys enjoy. All right. So today's a little different because I've got three guests and it's a little overwhelming for me, probably a little overwhelming for them. Hopefully, you know, all of them. We're going to start with Stephanie and let her introduce herself, and then we'll get around to the other two guys. Well, we got to pick on the girl first. Thing. We're not picking on you. We're just being polite. You just talked about it. And Women's History Month goes away, and it's we true. stop treating you with respect. Beggar but you just got respect. Right. Don't T- complain T- about T- it. She's making fun of me all morning. Beggars, choosers, ma'am. Good morning, guys. My name is Stephanie White. I'm the host of the podcast Five After Midnight. Why I am here today is questionable. Stack brought us all together to talk about different issues in the fire department right now. So. Interested to see what you guys all have to say. So tell me a little bit, or tell me, you don't have to tell me because I know what your show is about, but maybe the audience doesn't know. What's your show about and how do you do your show? My show is really about all the different taboo things that we talk about around the kitchen table that nobody seems to be able to take those subjects and make them see the light of day all the time because they are things that can get us in trouble if we say out loud things higher ups might not want to hear. Things that have always been an issue, it seems, and never seem to get the solutions they deserve. So that's where that show came out, came about five after midnight. The concept is you run five calls after midnight and you're completely dead honest, almost like you're drunk. You're sitting there with your shift with a cup of coffee and you just verbally vomit those things that you've been stewing about or that have been really pissing you off. That's the concept of it. So just bringing on different guests who have unique perspectives and really about those things. My last guest, for example, was TJ talking about line of duty deaths and what went wrong there. And uh, and I have talked before about your aggressive and wonderful take on mental health and the fact that it's not treated the same as every other part of our health. And Michael end up on there eventually talking about eventually. <laughs> Talking about leadership and just how certain aspects have gone by the wayside. It's really trying to bring those issues to light where they deserve to be. All right. I'm going to move on to TJ because I see he's trying to tie knots in my cords. So it's actually (laughs) his own cord, but he's distracted already. So TJ, tell tell us what what you're about. Okay. I fidget and I struggle. So my podcasting community is called Keep the Promise, and that came about as an idea to obviously keep pushing firefighters to keep that promise they made to the citizens. 
but also that we make to each other, right? We talk about the brotherhood. We talk about having each other's backs. And that is like the overarching thing, creating resilient, well-rounded firefighters. So even though podcasts are not supposed to be broad and cover things, do cover the whole spectrum. Talk about mental health, talk about nutrition, strategy and tactics, all these little things that add up to success or failure on the fire ground and outside of the firehouse. So in a way that we can make those firefighters be good on duty and better off duty. And with that, there's a community on Patreon where we all get together and further that goal. And it's awesome. I'm pumped to be here. It's uh, the joke is that you create a podcast just so you can invite your podcasting friends to record episodes. And I think we're covering that pretty well here. Yeah, I think we've got the bases pretty well covered for the Nova region, at least. Yeah. All right, Mike, tell us about it. What's your Um, show about? So my name is Mike Nasty. I do Tip of the Spear Leadership. It's a podcast that's basically about self-improvement and leading from the front. And I started with a extended time off from work from an injury and some other personal things. And it all just came to fruition and took off like wildfire. And now we're here. The main goal of it, though, is to push off that you're never going to be perfect. And there's always room for improvement and anyone can improve. And a lot of it's from a lot of things that I wish I knew back. I wish I knew then what I knew now. It's not a mantra, but the way I look at things. And I always try to push off things that I learned the hard way, which is 90% of the way I learn is I'm not doing myself any favors. And uh, just moving from it and persevering, being tenastic and just keep moving, keep going forward. And hopefully push that off on other people. And I think if... Ultimately, at the end of the day, I can really grasp a few, a handful of people and this can hopefully make a difference in their lives and it's a success. That's, I think that's the overarching thing for all of us is trying to make a difference in, in yeah. the audience life and trying to offer a product that brings some value. That being said, I know that we talked about some topics or we talked about creating some topics for ourselves to talk about today. And I think that I want to jump on one real quick. You said brotherhood. And oh boy, that's and a loaded one. It's a very loaded one. I think even now, especially now, I think. Actually, I'd like to get a definition of brotherhood from each of you. Jesus. Can I start? Go for it. Please. Mike's looking it up. I was going to say, if Mike's Googling brotherhood right now, I'm not going to take his answer, but whatever. I'm not. looking at it hard for me to find out. I'm pulling up something that I wrote up. Oh, awesome. Perfect. The rest of us are unprepared, and I'm just going to wing it. Wing it. To me, brotherhood and as a woman, I'm completely comfortable using that term, so I don't want to hear a kickback from the fact that it's a male-dominated term. It's gender neutral. Brotherhood is when you have this group of people with shared experiences who are willing to put themselves in a zone of discomfort to make sure that those around them are okay. So when I am down, the guys around me Literally taking one for the team and stepping up to do something that might be uncomfortable, whether it's asking the girl with tears in her eyes, are you okay? Or maybe protecting each other from an aggressive supervisor. Just being willing to be uncomfortable, to be potentially harmed, be it mentally, physically, whatever, to create the continuity of team and to take care of each other. And I know that's a basic answer, but it's a basic thing. Yeah. In some cases, I think it's basic, but I don't know if it is so basic. 
So it eludes many people, but at the heart of it, basic thing. All right. So what'd you write? This is a little paraphrase, but you have to be people oriented. So brotherhood, in my opinion, is not action as much as it is consistency all the time, every time, regardless of what the situation is. You brought up the supervisors and all those things. And I understand that, but I think it's more so of you're there for each other. No one else is coming to help you get through whatever that situation is, right? So all these self-help things that are out there are good. And there's a lot of programs in the departments that are there to help everyone go through difficult things. But when you look for them, but what brotherhood to me is we're checking each other consistently. You know what I mean? I know what your birthday is. I know how old your kids are. I know who your kids are. I know what they like. I know your wife's name. I know when your anniversary is that kind of stuff. And those things bleed over into we're out doing whatever it is. We're running a call with this kid and this kid's however years old. I know Bill in the back, his kid's that age. Maybe I should keep an eye on him or not even so much that, hey, your kid hit a home run today in baseball. Hey man, congratulations. Tell me about it. Like how'd it go? Those things will be pouring off the parents or the, the guys on your guys and girls on your shift where, you know, they're going to talk about those things. But I think the brotherhood is, you know, just going that extra mile of being there, like helping somebody build a deck or holding a door open for someone when they're coming in the morning with gear in their hands. You know, hey, good morning. How are you? You look them in the eye, that kind of stuff. And I think there's a cliche part to it. Like, oh, we're brothers. We're here to take care of each other. Well, that's good to say, but it's all actions. So there's no, in my opinion, there's no defined or no de definition of it. I think it's all a matter of what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And I think you could go around a room of people and say, explain to me what brotherhood is in two sentences. They're probably not going to be able to do that. No. Tell me an example of brotherhood that you've experienced and they'll have, they'll be able to talk to you for hours. So I think it's an ideology for a culture by just taking care of each other and caring about someone else more than yourself. I like it. I like it. You get to follow that, TJ. Long-winded. You better bring it now. I mean, I'm going to go sit down You better bring it. I'm going to take the cowardly answer and just take a hybrid of the previous two. But, and I don't want to be that Debbie Downer, obviously, but it's just as important as it is to say it and to say, oh my God, we live the brotherhood. We do all these things. I feel that we miss that definition a lot and it takes a lot of work. So for me, that brotherhood is asking those uncomfortable questions, not just, are you okay? Sit down and talk to me. What is happening? And be ready to get that uncomfortable answer. Brotherhood is not bringing your entire region's peer support team to your firehouse after you just lost a guy. Because now you're just alienating those people. On the same page, it's those people who show up and say, listen, you need your space. I'm here to show you that I support you in whatever you need. Just call me. So it's... Brotherhood is that it's not even an ability. It's a trained behavior to be able to ask those tough questions of your people and act upon them. And sometimes realizing you can't even act upon them to keep them safe, to go through hell and high water, like, like Stephanie was saying, and, and to understand them. Like you have to know and understand your folks so well and be like, okay, I can handle that. Or I can't, I'm just going to be there in, in the shadows if they need something. Are there limitations to brotherhood? Yeah. Uh, you have to respect their, you have to respect their boundaries. 
Absolutely. I'm trying to think how to say this. So like when you go through a life event or something, right? You'd think everybody like, man, are you okay? No, they're going to come in and they're going to, you're going to go to the firehouse or wherever you are. You're going to go in the engine bay, whatever around the guys and girls that you work with, and they're going to smoke you. They're going to bust your chops about everything. They're not going to get you, let you get away with nothing. Like Stephanie posted a video from a documentary where it says, go in the kitchen, get beat up by some people you really love. I'm telling you right now, there's no better feeling than walking in feeling like absolute crap for work. And the first thing you get is your balls busted for a good hour or two from people that you really like. It'll bring you out of any funk. It'll bring you out of everything. I think with limitations, I'm I'm wondering if there's a time where it's applied inappropriately, if it's, um, but you'll know those boundaries if you, if you create that atmosphere of, I think I would call it chemistry and camaraderie, but brotherhood's the same thing. I think it's just what the fire Mm -hmm. department labeled it, quite frankly. It's the same thing. You'll know. Sounds cooler than chemistry. It does, but you'll, you'll know just like any other relationship, your boundaries. And I think if you're pushing the buttons too much, like some of the guys that I work with. I could be pushing, like pushing the envelope and they'll give me a look and I'll know to back off and vice versa. So I think there are limitations to it, but I think you have to know the people and how far to push the envelope, quite frankly. Is there a, I don't know what I'm trying to, I'm stumbling on this because I think that there's this overarching theme of brotherhood and people think, well, you have to do this because it's brotherhood, no matter what, it's a brotherhood. But at what point does the brotherhood need to be put aside? When does it stop being cliche? Yeah. I think we've devalued, right. We've turned into a buzzword and we've devalued it because Chicago had line of duty death yesterday. Mm -hmm. They might have one today. There's somebody pretty fucked up right now. So there's people changing their profile pictures and, oh, we got it from here, brother. That's not brotherhood. That's just you doing it for you. It's a habit. Somebody died, must change. And now it's a badge of honor for me to have all my profile pictures on Facebook, have some sort of bunting to it. Come on. Brotherhood is, okay, you care that much. Don't even just go for the funeral because we all know funerals, fire department funerals, it's just an excuse to drink. Brotherhood is the personal relationships versus the culture. So the culture of changing your profile picture, the culture of showing up in mass for an event just to say that you were there versus being there for the following deepest, darkest hour and it happened in that person's life. I also think it's that silent professional type, right? You have a line of duty death and I show up. Hey, I'm here. I'm here to work. I'm here to do whatever. I don't put on my Facebook. I don't put on my Instagram. Right. I don't yes. call you. I don't say, hey, brother, I'm here for you. I just walk up, we make eye contact. I know. And I just do whatever needs to be done. Bring them food, whatever it is, just show up. And I think the presence, presence and the gesture, I don't want to say gesture, but the gesture, right? Because actions speak louder than words. It doesn't matter. You could say whatever it is that you want, but there's a totally different thing. If I were to come in, like TJ had his situation. If I came in, I looked TJ square in the face. There's that connection, the body language, all that is there. I think that's what the brotherhood would, I would think it would be. Not what people talk about, it's what you do. Can the brotherhood become toxic? Is there a point in time where it oh, becomes bro. toxic? Oh, Lord. Absolutely. We use it as an excuse to cover so much of our just awful behavior. But what's your definition of toxic? Like Anything you- that detracts from the well-being of the crew, right? Yeah, well-being so, of the crew, well-being of, of, of members of a department. Right. Yes. Oh, my God. It's the brotherhood that in this firehouse, we are going to shit talk everybody. That's not brotherhood, right? Would You're not taking be. negative and 
just piling it on and now it's almost like a gang mentality. Oh, I have to. We've all either worked at firehouses like that or we know people that have nothing positive to say about anything or anyone. And the status quo is everybody to avoid walking on eggshells or eventually almost like Stockholm syndrome. Everybody at that place ends up acting the same way, the same exact way, just being negative and being angry about things in the name of this is my shift. This is our brotherhood. That's toxic. It's a that, that dark side. There's always a, there's a good side and a dark side of leadership, of the fire service, of everything that we do. When you get that group mentality and that group culture, it's very easy to go into mob mentality and group think. It's and, fostered. Yeah. I mean, Just any, like you could... No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Anytime. Anything can be used as a perverse umbrella. Whether it be politics, whether it be good religion. Word. I know, I was just thinking, man, that's a great term, perverse yeah, umbrella. It's from a good writer. But we can hide anything under that and throw, and it gets even worse with the word brotherhood because it's such a revered term, and we can slap that label on it, and people will back up, oh, brotherhood, I'm not going to touch it. And we can use it to cover a multitude of sins. Just like TJ was saying, we can use it to cover that toxic environment, which is bullshit, and it happens all. So, Mike, when you talk about leadership, how... Can leadership foster the positivity and brotherhood? And I think you touched on it a little bit already, but if you, you know, with the uh, just knowing their people, knowing your people, you first of all, you have to start with yourself. Frank Vescuzzo, who is a known leadership writer, he uh, his turn his quote that I really is a leader of one can become a leader of many. If you can't lead one, you can't lead any. So it's just like anything else. If you don't start with yourself and you personify and you lead by example, and if you don't do those things yourself, how would you have anyone else do it? It's just like being a father or a parent. You want your kids to act a certain way. You need to do it yourself because they're going to see everything. They're not going to forget anything. They're going to call you out on. So if you want to foster whatever your ideology is of brotherhood or culture or camaraderie or chemistry, whatever it is, it needs to start with you. So... If you were to, you're at work and you want to create that environment and you have a crew where everyone's off in their own corners, people are on their cell phones, it's not going to happen. But if you create an environment where everybody wants to eat together, everybody wants to train together, even if you're not out training, pulling hand lines, throwing ladders, you don't have to do that all the time to stay engaged throughout the day. But you create environments to where everyone's together, no one's on their phones, and everyone is doing something and accomplishing some established goal. I think that's where you're going to create those things. And I think if you do that with the tip of the spear style mentality where you're the one doing the difficult thing all the time, every time, I think in time people will follow you. And once they start following you, then they're going to be inspired to do it themselves individually. Then collectively, that's the environment's going to be second to none. It's going to be fantastic. You guys have anything to add to that? I think the Maryland guy knocked it out of the park. I'm so shocked. Second to none. I'm thinking like a Rescue One t-shirt and you're just taking slogans, man. Jersey system did well. Yeah, Rescue One in the city. That's that's her thing. Oh. Also helps that it's only one rescue. So literally second to none. Which city? Baltimore. Oh. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you you guys are close. Right. You guys are close to the big city. Sorry. Us us county folk. I'm just a county folk. We're here in the highway corridor. I'm just an (laughs) urban guy. I don't (laughs) know. All right, so what's another topic? And I know we were thinking of topics to bring up, so somebody throw one out there. Come on. I think I know the answer because I've known you guys well enough for a bit. 
and your misadventures with the brass, with the dinosaurs, with whomever it might be. I think we're feeling targeted, but keep going. No, I, I, no, this is almost like a support group because I think this applies to all of us. What are your hills to die on? What is that one line in the sand that you draw and you said, that's it. Come hell or high water. I don't care if I'm getting transferred, suspended, kicked out. Because you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But this, we have to take into account that by saying that we're admitting that our fire service has issues and is broken. And I think that's something that we've all done publicly. So what is that one thing or multiple things? It doesn't matter, but like hills to die on. Mental health. If you fuck with someone, pardon the French, who has gone and done the right thing and taken the hard step to go, whether it be drug, alcohol rehab, mental health rehab, and they have self-identified and they have gone to fix that struggle in their life, that you know that you exploit that and you fuck with that or just as bad if you take those who have taken them to rehab and send them to IA or anyone around them who has helped them their crew members who have known what's going on and no no harm has been done to the job or anything like that but just for the simple matter of oh you have this issue now that we know we're going to discipline for you you for it even though we found out because you went and tried to self improve that will never be acceptable. And that is a hill I will die on. Yeah, I think you guys know I agree with that because that's the premise of my entire show is mental health and taking care of firefighters and taking care of ourselves. And I think sometimes my hills to die on kind of change from day to day. I, it just depends on what's going on and what I'm noticing about leadership. Right now we have fluidity in our leadership and I don't know the incoming regime that we'll have. And it's going to be interesting to see what they're about. I have some topics that I hit day to day on my show and you guys know them. I talk about mental health. I talk about psychedelics. I talk about different types of therapies. Those are things I would die on. I think that it's very important for fire service as a whole to investigate that. So I think that treating firefighters like humans and doing I don't know, all-encompassing treatments is important. Mike's awfully quiet right. over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike hasn't gotten in trouble lately. Yeah, apparently not. We're going to keep, we're gonna keep on, the, o- the officer in the corner. You won't have to answer the question. <laughs> I'll answer. I'm good sit, with it. Sit there and look pretty, Lieutenant. I think I do that very well. Morals. Morals will always be the hill to die on. My crew, right? Morals are all-encompassing. Our entire job in public safety is to go to people's houses or interact with people, excuse me, on the worst day of their lives and help them when they can't help themselves. Now, what does that mean? Helping you when you can't help yourself, not giving up on you when you've given up on yourself. That's why I'm here. That's the whole point. I will die on that hill every single time. I don't care what your rank is. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. Everybody has morals. And for me, with my guys or someone that Throughout, however it works out, we come together. I'm going to always die on the hill of morals, whether that's your mental health, sticking up for you, even though you may not be correct. You and I will discuss that later, but I'm going to, I got you. I got your back. And if you're wrong, you're going to answer to me, but you always support your people. Always. The guys and the girls need to be the guys and girls. You have to create that separation so they know that there's a difference between, I don't want to say between us and them, but I'm not one of the guys. I'm the leader. 
I can be part of the group, part of the crew, part of the brotherhood. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's my job to get that 3,000 foot view and stop toxicity from any level. I don't care what your rank is. If it's toxic coming to my shift, you're going to go through me, right? You want to come and mess with somebody on my shift, you come through me. It answer, any problem here, it's me. You come to me, I'll handle the buck stops with me. And I don't give a crap how high your rank goes. You're not going to, it's, you're not going interfere, to interfere with my guys. And <clears throat> now just like anything else in life, that sounds great, but sometimes you fall short and you get crushed a little bit, but that's just life in general. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, if you are a good human being and you default to what is right and wrong, I think you're going to be just fine. And I think you're always going to come out on top too, but you got to have morals. You got to take care of the people, um, whether they're the people that you're called to take care of, or if I know Dave over here works for my department, Dave and I are cool, but Dave's not acting right. Or I keep hearing this stuff about him. Hey, hey, how you doing? Like that kind of stuff. And just because it's a rule or a general order or whatever it is, doesn't make it right. And you have to be able to have the confidence to stand up for that. Think you can win and lose, win and win or lose a lot. But I think the morals is, it's just, it's a no brainer. Yeah. I think that maybe I didn't explain that a bit. No, it I think good in my head. It sounded good. I just, I always wonder when I, when someone says morals, I always question whose morals and who determined what, what is the wrong and the right. And I'm not saying that your, your morals will be off, but some people have a different de definition of morals and a very definite, very different definition of wrong and right. Go with your gut. Your gut will never lie to you. Yeah. But again, whose gut? Because right. There is some. My gut. You're, the individual rumbling all day, bro. The individual. Yeah, we did the, indiv the individual. The individual. Like, I'm trying to think but how to say. I this. think but you I, have to go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I think the point Stack was trying to make is, I trust your gut. Yeah. I trust Stack's gut. I trust TJ's gut. I trust my gut. There are some people whose guts I want to kick in daily. Would never yeah. trust them to have to do the right thing but and your they, instinct are telling you not to follow them and i don't follow them no i'm just saying uh, that's what that, but that's the that point often that i'm making gets me in trouble but right. that's the point that i'm making and see here's so here's the separation and this isn't meant as an insult in no. any freaking way shape or form no. you and i are always going to use things from a different view now that you've become an officer and it's not a bad thing in any way shape or form mind mindsetting's different Mindset, but, but is the mi different. yeah, sure. the mindset is different. Is I think I'm yeah. going to be in a different protective state of my crew, and you're going to be in a different place of protection because you have more power than I do right now. So I think some basic instincts are going to be a little bit different. I think you're going to want to have faith a little more in people's guts than maybe I'm going to. Talking about morals and trusting people. That's a changing face of the fire department and fire service in general is it's, and it's always going to be that way. Generational shifts. Yeah. So a 20 year firefighter take Stephanie, for instance, versus the rookie coming onto the street tomorrow in our department, there's new rookies coming onto the street. There's a difference in how they approach life and how they approach work. And so how do you guys, how would you guys manage that? Again, because even morals can be different there. But again, it's all a leadership by example. And I hear this a lot too. Guys are like, oh, kids nowadays, 
this, that, or the other. They're just like anyone else. You're just like a, having a kid. They don't know any. They don't know what they don't know. If you don't teach them and take the time to explain to them, these are the nuances of the fire department or whatever. You show up X, Y, or you want done. However you want them to act, you have to teach them. And if they don't learn, they don't want to do it, then that's on them. People typically don't do things for one or two reasons. They don't know or they don't know how to. So or if they, they know, don't know how to teach. And if they, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> but if they don't, if they don't know, like, here's a good example. Like I had a conversation with somebody one time and that person does not drink coffee. They were very adamant about it. And they were talking, I was working overtime. They were working overtime and we were talking and that person was not very happy that they were told they have to make coffee and said, it's not my, I don't make coffee. I don't do that. Why should I have to do that? Blah, blah, blah. Well, this is a teachable moment in my opinion. And I said to them, I was like, think about it like this. It's not about the coffee. It's about me. I'm an officer, but the, the firefighter, whoever tells you to make coffee. It's not about the coffee. It's about me giving you a task under zero stress, zero danger to your life, zero danger to anyone else's life. And I just said, Hey, go make coffee. And that's it. And that's your response. No, it's the whole point is it's not about if you drink coffee or not. If I can't that's trust why. you to if make I coffee. Can't, if I can't trust you where there's no danger to your life safety or anything like that and no stress, how can I trust you when it's extremely stressful? And there's that cliche of, oh, you could walk in and run a career fire your first day. I never did that, but I've seen it, right? I've never had, I walk in on my first day and run a career fire. I've never done that but I've seen it. And it's an example that I like to use because it's like, hey, look, you could walk in. I've never talked to you. I've never met you. You're literally putting your stuff on the apparatus and now we're running, you're running a career fire. So that was an opportunity or a situation where you had to roll the punches and the person that ran on that call is fantastic. He stepped up to the plate, knocked out of the park, saved lives. It was so that's the example that I used with this person. He's like, I never thought about it. Nobody explained that to me. I'm like, okay, well, did you ask him? No, I didn't know I should. But I think it's also on now you that know. leader, right? Because we love to complain and we love to complain about the newbies. And I chuckled when you were saying like, yeah, maybe get them like off their phones. I wish, but it's, I'm just, it's, it my these are these generations, right? Like kitchen table, everybody's on their phone. Yeah, our generation's doing dinner. it too. Right. We're all doing it. And I think as formal and informal leaders we have to meet those people where they are and understand listen they're not gonna stop laying on their phones like i've tried there's a guy at work like he watches paw patrol sometime at dinner he's like i have nothing to add to the conversation so i might as well just entertain my mind with something that's fine but i know that i can meet him there right if i want to foster that friendship and the camaraderie I know he's going to be there for the Instagram memes and for the dumb TikToks and things like that. So I think it's important as we have more time in the fire service to understand who those new people are and how to reach them because we should know better. We've been there. We've dealt with the grizzly old veterans who, you know, uphill both ways to school and like a blizzard and tornado, all that stuff. And now we're dealing with the Zoomers and whatever generation comes after them. We ought to know, be like, hey, listen, how is this going to, like, how can I get through to you? Should we look at videos? Should we look at a book? Should we do it? Should we do all of them? And understanding that it's not, it's not their fault. It's just 
No, but it's, you said it yourself with the leadership and informal leadership. Leadership is not a rank or a title. Leadership's an action ideology, right? So I think the best way to do that is expectations, right? Set expectations, set boundaries, and hold people accountable. I think if you start with that, those three steps of clear, defined expectations, set your boundaries, and then accountability, it's going to take time. It's going to take hard work. Yeah. It's not going to be easy. Nobody's going to, not nobody, but you may or may not get the followership that you want. But in time, you okay. start building up that leadership bank of So let me things. be that Zoomer, right? I'm over here. I'm TikToking. I'm new to your shift. And this is what I've been used to my entire life. A screen in front of my face and asking why and questioning everything and not taking any sort of legacy or any sort of, when we came in, we had these ideals of the fire service as it should be, the brotherhood, that that like institutional identity, right? I'm doing this because it's a fire service way. The folks we're getting these days are like, why? That doesn't make any sense. And I've caught myself many times, like I'm about to drop the because, and I'm like, oh fuck, I don't even know why. Because we've always done it that way. Hi, I'm TJ. I'm your Zoomer. I'm on my phone. I'm tic-tacking. I got my B-reel up, so I got both cameras going. And I'm going to update my Twitter 15 times today. You're asking what I would do? Uh, and I don't want to make coffee. I don't understand why I have to make it. I don't understand why. I don't know. What, what, why do the hoses have to look so, so good on the but fire? But you know, this is it. So you've got Lieutenant, Lieutenant Nasty. You have the person who is formally in charge. Mike can get through to me. Mike can speak my language. So maybe that's where Mike as a leader looks and says, all right, who do I have that's strong on my shift? Speaks TikTok. I'm going to assign, yeah. I'm going to assign that person to this person. That's just where knowing your resources comes in because uh, let's face it, we're going to be gone. And Mr. Y needs to know why. So that way he can keep climbing that ladder of Knowledge. Yeah. There's also different layers to it too, right? If you do, if you create a culture, I think if you have a good culture of guys and girls that want to be there and do the right thing and are all on the same page, that situation probably will not get to me. And if it gets to me, there's a problem. But my life's black and white when it comes to certain things, right? With that, right? I put your phone away. You don't listen. I'm going to crush you, right? Whether it's with paperwork or if you have enough time to do that, then we need to go train more. You know what I'm saying? It's very simple. I can give you a direct order. I can say, put your phone away. That is a direct order. Do if not, it's insubordination. If you do anything other than put your phone away and come do whatever it is. Do you think you lose that leadership capital? No. If you do, if you give that order? No. Because if I allow you to do that as your tic-tac and he's got 20 years on, I let you do that, but I haven't let him do that the entire time he's worked with me and you're brand new. What does that do? That's where your capital is. And that's where you put money in the bank, where you need to keep money in the bank. Your interest and your dividends grow situation by situation, event after, get off your phone, event after event where you're consistent. They are, you're consistent. They know, and they know your expectations. Again, like I said, expectations, boundaries, accountability. My expectations of you is to stay off your phone when we're doing whatever. Right. My bat well, that's my expectations. The boundaries are don't do it with whatever. And then the accountability is, hey dude, I told you not to do it. You're right. doing it. Now you're gonna pay for it.
What about a hybrid? And I mean by that, so TJ wants to TikTok. He wants to make his videos. He wants to do this. All right, fuck it. Let's do it. You know what? Let's make, let's start making this about what we're doing for training. So you combine the two and you, but give some and you take some. And I'll back up a little bit too. Like if it's an, a blatant, I'm not doing that. And that's probably not how the situation probably in my, exactly. in my opinion would have transpired. Cause I would have been, I'm fairly young. And I would have said to the guy, what are you doing? Well, I'm on TikTok. Well, these guys call you old all the time, so I don't know about the fairly young part. Right. 37. <laughs> so he's younger than me anyway. I'm yeah. a baby. I'm a baby. Treat but what I've learned <clears throat> when it comes to a lot of this stuff with that exact situation, and I've had this play out a few times myself with people that are younger and like in their 20s, one kid was, I don't even think he was 20 yet. He was probably 19. Maybe he was 20. I don't remember. Where it was very similar. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm on TikTok. All right, what are you doing? I was going to do this video and I was checking these videos out on the fire department with X, Y, and Z. What do you look like? What are you looking at? And he shows me, all right, cool. Put your phone away. We'll go do this, that, or the other. Or if you like doing that, do it after three o'clock. If you want to be on your phone, you want to mess around on your phone, do it on downtime, do it between calls. If you're, you want to make a video of us doing training, I'll bite on that. Right. Because you're out training. You're out doing something. If you want to, if you want to do something, and I can't think of an exact example, but it's something that contributes to being engaged throughout the day or the crew benefit as a whole, I'll bite on that. And I will allow it as long as it's not distracting. Yeah. And I think that's the point is that you've got this generation coming in and a buddy of mine made a post yesterday. He said the two rookies coming to his station across the shifts have a combined age of 36. Wait, what? Yeah, they have a combined age of their, so they're both 18 they're both year olds. I did the math that quick. Yeah. And so you but think about good, that could be a good thing. It could be a great thing. So my point is, as these generations come in, we have to teach them the why, but we also have to come to them in a style. And that was so that you can still do it like tip of the spear sure. leadership where you leave from the front. Sure. But you're going to come and bring them into the fold a little bit by sure. using what they're comfortable with. Yeah. And that was my point. And yeah. And I think you can always expand to try to think of how to say this. You have to train for the league, the weakest link. Now you can be a weak link, not because of anything bad. You may be the weak link because of experience, knowledge, or a combination of being 36 years old with two guys. Right. There are two, two rookies that are 18 years old each, whereas those are blank canvases, canvases. So if you train to your weak link and you know, this is the person that's going to make or break us and just keep it brilliant in the basics. And the basics may be you're new or you're old. And this is the minimum standard. And you explain it to them. Because again, like I said before, people generally don't do anything. Or people generally don't do things because either they don't know or they don't know how to. Oh, yeah, definitely. So if you remove those from the equation and you give that, like you say, day one, bam, here's your foundation. And you start working on that foundation, you're going to build the house. But you can't expect that. You can't expect to put shingles on a house. When you haven't poured the foundation yet. And that's the problem I think with a lot of bit older people where they're like, oh, it's new generation. Well, how, what have you done to fix it? Because I'm close to retirement and everything people complain about now, they said to me when I was a teenager in the fire department. I've actively heard people complain, come to a detail and complain about the rookie in their station. And I look <laughs> at them like, you're complaining about your rookie, but that's your fault, not your rookie's fault. You also should keep your dirty laundry. Oh yeah, dirty laundry. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all another subject. But I'm saying, in if you're gonna con if you're gonna complain about yeah. what your rookie is doing in your firehouse, then you need to shine that spotlight back on oh, yourself. Yeah. You're yeah. you're admitting failure at that right. point. Yeah, if you're pointing the finger. There's three more pointing right back at you. Yeah.
All right, Stephanie, what do you what did you have to bring to the table today? Yeah, I'm putting it oh out there. God. Let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> let's see, let's see if we can get you another meeting. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen, TJ was the one who did all the homework for this. Failed. I think one of the biggest things for me right now is I think we are seeing this sudden recognition of, it's funny, you were talking about your rookie and outside training all day and all that. So fucking important. Obviously, we have a technical job. We need to be able to do that technical job or lives are lost. Let's make no bones about that. But I'm, we're seeing this amazing culture swing where we're starting to see an awareness of, okay, you can teach me how to throw a ladder. You can teach me some cool tricks with that and how to pull a hose line a million times. But how about teaching me all these other unspoken skills that I really freaking need to survive the job? Yeah. And I think culturally... You're starting to see that on TikTok. You're starting to see that on Instagram. You're starting to hear it in podcasts. You're not starting to see it at the level of culture where it matters, right? You're not starting to see it taught in academies or higher ups or any anything like that. How do we take the actual practical survival skills? Because it is survival. Like, I, I don't want to see my kids join the fire department and have their lives ruined by it because they weren't taught how to survive sheer chaos, which is what this is. So how do we get that mentality into departments? Shared hardship. So you take them, you go, you do training, whatever it is. I think it all, it's all, I don't drill as much as I should. If it's, it's all about leadership, I'm throwing something at you. Hold on. I don't mean teaching not, the new people, you and me, the people aware. I mean creating a culture. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And, I, and again, shared hardship. So you go out, you go train, you're running calls, you're doing whatever it is. Right. So then you, with everything, just like everything else in the fire and everything else, at least in my experiences, there's always downtime. Right. So you'll say it's something nice. to the effect of, no, I'm not saying downtime, like hang out. I'm saying downtime, like between calls, coming back from a call, yeah, going to a call. Beast of the East over here doesn't know what that is. Walking into the firehouse at the same time in the morning because you both show up at the same time, getting your gear checked together, checking your Scott packs or whatever cylinders you use. But what I'm saying is there's always those downtime, right? There's time. It, just like anything else, everything ebbs and flows throughout the day and have those slow periods where you'll say something to somebody to the effect of, hey, how you doing? Or you talk to them a little bit if they're newer or the situation is, I think when you're able to have those personal moments of you check, you're checking in on someone, hey, how's it going or whatever? Hey, did you hear about X, Y, and Z at the station over here? They had this situation happen, right? So we just got done doing some work. We got done doing whatever it is. Now we're talking about a situation that happened somewhere else. Hey, look, man, if that happens to us, this is the way we need to handle it. This guy's struggling um, with these things. If he's struggling, how do you know how to just hand out? Hand out. No, because I'm next to speak. Go ahead. No, you finish. I'm waiting for you to finish. But what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is waiting, but interrupting. So go ahead. What I'm saying is, and I'm going to, I'm going to use it. Maybe this is a little bit better, right? This, and she's going to love this. Just like playing catch with your dad. I hate baseball. You're not learning to play. You're not learning to play catch. It's about the conversations that you have. You talk about life. You talk about relationships. But you talk. Sorry, keep going. You talk about interrupting people. But you talk. It's not about throwing the baseball. It's about. I don't want to say it's a metaphor for life, but it is because you're. You talk about everything. Everything. Just like the kitchen table thing. You're. 
your pediatrician, your marriage counselor, your life coach, they're all at the firehouse, they're all on the kitchen table. Everyone knows everything about everything. And it's no different. So maybe that's a better analogy. I look at it as playing catch, but the whole point is those are the times where you learn those things. And by shared hardship, I mean, you know, the mental health aspect of difficult things you're going through. Because difficulty doesn't have to be a traumatic call. You might not be able to go up three flights of stairs because you're overweight and it's difficult. And this guy's over here supporting you. Hey, look, yeah, you are. And we need to fix that. I think what Stephanie was alluding to is that cultural thing. And by that, that institutional knowledge, that institutional inertia. I remember we, six months of the academy, learn how to do everything, throw letters, pull lines, do SO shit. The Yada EMT, Scene Safety BSI. There was like a 40 minute conversation on firehouse life, but zero about the fact of you're going to see dead kids. You're going to watch your teammates suffer and get injured and possibly die. You're going to have to figure out a way to take this shit home and leave it at the door. Like there was none of that. And you know what we got to, I probably speak for all of us to the firehouse, just tough it out. Go do a shot about it. I was furious when Kelsey, Kenny and Paul got killed in the city because there were people being so like beating their chest. Like when I get home, I'm going to do three shots for them. And that is what started my fundraising efforts because three months later, I'm like, fuck you. You did three shots. I raised 16,000 for these people, for their families. So we have never been taught in that training environment how to deal with those extra things that I said add up to success or failure at the firehouse and at home. No, I knew it because I've been doing this for a while. I'm like, yeah, I was 18. I had some dude drip his brains on me. I had to deal with that as an 18 year old. So by the time I got to the academy and by the time I got away from it, I could pull the rookie and be like, yo, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to feel. You need to learn your own way, but I will tell you where not to go and I will tell you where to go. And then eventually I just became militant about therapy. I'm like, you need to have some, you need to have an expert. And that's something that culturally we haven't gotten to yet. We talk this great game about everything that we do and we train our people and the, what's the leadership's reaction to the shit we're going through. Hey, let's have a dog come to your firehouse. Let's have the entire Eastern Seaboard incident support or fucking like SISM people show up to your firehouse and you not have a kitchen table. Like we're still missing the mark. Aiming, at least we're hitting the dartboard, right? We might be hitting the wall. We're not hitting the bullseye yet. We're hitting the plywood yeah. to the dart. We're hitting the drunk guy that's passing by on his way to the bathroom. So were those the issues you were talking about? Listen, I can count on Mike to do the right thing with his new guys all day long. But what about when Mike goes and the next guy comes along? If we're going to continue to teach people how to survive what it is we do, it's got to be a cultural shift that comes from above. I once had, I was talking to a chief about cancer awareness and it was from my role as a union standpoint. And I said, hey, I really need you guys to buy into this. And he looked at me and he said, no, messaging is your job. You're the union. Messaging isn't my job. I'm this specific rank. And my mind was blown. No, you are this rank. You are this person we are all looking up to and having to hear all the time. It needs to roll down for you. And that is the mentality in so many places is Mr. Nasty, Lieutenant Nasty, he's going to do the right thing. So we're good. I don't need to talk about it. But what about when Mike goes? What about when Stack goes and TJ and Stephanie and other people who haven't maybe 
realized yet the importance of that message. Step up to the plate, which is where. Go ahead. No, I, I'm just getting ready to talk. I did not mean to interrupt you. You took that breath. I did because I want to defend Mike a little bit on this. And but to, I'm not trying to. No, be I know you're not. I know you're not. I'm talking. I'm more directed towards <laughs> TJ. Yeah, TJ. No, I think that he has a point though. So some of that can be done through his style of leadership because he can say, "Hey, this is my philosophy. We're going to hit this stuff head on, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to have it out in the open. We're going to deal with it." So now that 18-year-old that Mike's talking to and bringing those subjects up, the ones that nobody else really wants to talk about, the shit that you don't want to talk about, that 18-year-old is going to go, yeah, that lieutenant talked to me about it. So when he goes on and he's got a rookie next year or two years from now, he's going to go, "Ah, I remember how this was done for me. So now I'm going to talk to this guy. And then that's going to multiply down the line. So he talks to one person, that's two, then four, then eight. And then it just, or 16, whatever whatever the numbers work out to be, that's how you start to get that institutionalized change. And I, th- I think it was you that, that had a post the other day about you planting a tree, not for you, but you plant it for the next generation, mm-hmm. right? Mike's planting a seed by talking to that 18-year-old rookie, though. But again, and, we're relying on Mike to exist. But we yeah, are relying on Mike, but he's, but, he's, but he's creating two more people right, to he's exist creating two in more his mice, place. And then they're creating more. And, and I think it's got to be that, that two-pronged approach, right? I'm impatient. I do not want to wait. And I know I won't see it in my career, but I do not want to wait 20, 30 years to see a change. No, none of us and do. That's, that's why we all talk in front of a well, mic. I mean, Mike is doing the right thing because now he's creating that generational change that in 10, 15 mm-hmm. years, the people that he's dealt with are going to say, I learned this from him. Come here. Let me show you a couple of things. And how do you create that institutional? Right. I think that's the start of getting that snowball rolling. And I also think it's important to do what I feel we are doing and is using the means and the mediums that we, media, mediums, whatever, the means that we have available to us at this point in time to say we can reach X amount of people. That One of my things that really floored me when looking at podcasting stats was when we broke above 10,000 listens. And I had to sit back because that's in 10 was my first firehouse. We always had 10 people there, yada, yada. And that's how many people we could reach, right? That like heartfelt kitchen table talk, 10, 11, if you're lucky, if you have a visitor. But now you start getting these messages out there, taking advantage of what we have. 10 becomes 100, 1,000, 10,000. And even if I'm getting like an iota of that message out there to 10,000 people, that's going to set the stage for the leaders that Mike is creating to have a fertile ground and a strong foundation to create that institutional change where in 20 years, we are talking about mental health and how to deal with shit before we go out into the field. Yeah. And I think that the phrase that keeps coming back to me is when I talked to James Gearing and he talked about why he left the fire service. He said he, he ran one. The whole idea is he ran a call at two thirty in the morning. It was a lift assist. So he affected change for one person, but then he got home and he realized he was affecting change for thousands through his podcast. And so he used the term force multiplier. And that's that force multiplier that, that is so important for all of us. Shared hardship, because think about, and this is what I'm getting at with the shared hardship thing, right? It's about a, it's a, it's an ideology. It, it, trying to think how to say this, I had it really good in my head a second ago, and then he got interrupted. I didn't get interrupted. That's because we didn't allow him to have his notepad and make ruffling no, noises. <laughs> Man, that lost. But no, shared hardship. So think about all the people over the years, all the calls that you've ran. I don't know numbers. I can't tell you how many calls I've ran and. 16 years, almost 16 years in the fire department. I don't know. Show off. But every time that you go to somebody's house is typically the worst day of their lives. 
and they don't see you all the time, but we see the civilians, the citizens all the time, right? So that's going to be a locked in moment, a core memory for the rest of their lives with their interaction with you. They're never going to forget that. So you need to seize the day with that, right? You need to be able to push off that we're in a difficult situation. We did the right thing. And they know that's how citizens build trust in the fire department or public safety or however you want that to be. Now, when it comes to people in your department, when you're talking about creating a culture, you're talking about creating change. It's all about those minutes in time that people won't forget. Your chief walked in unannounced, didn't say a word, showed up and goes, TJ, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're pulling hand lines. All right, cool. I'm going to grab my gear and pull lines with you. You'll never forget the rest of your career, will you? No. How often does that happen? I don't know. Not going to speculate. Yeah, right. I'll say it out loud. Zero. Either Absolute way. Zero. It's, it's in my experience. I've sure. I've had one chief like that in 18 years. So the point I'm making is you create that moment in time, that ripple where people will remember the moment and then they'll remember the actions afterwards. So if you have a difficult call, TJ comes over to you and says, hey, look, man, this is tough. I know it's tough. Let's talk or whatever. Or you'll know when people check on you. Like they'll check in, hey, how you doing or whatever. Or a day or two later, you get a random text message from a coworker. Hey, how you doing? Or the next shift they talk to you and talk, whatever that is. That's where you create that change. And it's through shared hardship. Because if not, and everything's easy, hardship can be whatever you want it to be. But it's that, I don't want to say unexpected show of love, but it is. So if you create that memorable moment, whether it's a good moment or a bad moment, a heartbreaking moment or whatever it is, but that situation's met by action to push off your culture. This is how we take care of each other or whatever it is. Or that chief showing up saying he's important. Hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to train with you. Hey guys, thanks for letting me pull hand lines with you and re-rack lines with you, whatever. Keep doing what you do. What does that do? That's going to be word of mouth. People are going to start talking about that. And they start randomly doing that, not for show, not with cameras, not to look good on Facebook, not any of that crap where they're posting it. If they just show up and do it because they genuinely care, you're going to see that. You're going to see that. You're going to see that. You're going to tell your friends. And that's when you start fostering that culture. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I get what you're saying. I think like, I keep going back to what Stephanie was saying. How do we make, how do we make the leadership now realize what needs to be done? What changes need to come? How do we affect change at the top now? Start at the bottom. Start with that's each not other. now though. That's not, yeah. Start, that, I agree with you. Start. I'm just saying. Do the right thing now, but start with what you change. What you can control. What you can forget everything that you can't. But if I think what we're seeing is the fact that we can generate change on a much larger scale, and that's where the impatience come from. Because the, if we his podcast alone has opened so many conversations about mental health, about how do we take care of each other, about alternative methods to take care of each other, we have tasted that now. We know that. The change can come almost overnight. So we are not satisfied with, hey, it's going to take some time to change the culture. I think we all agree that with that, right? Like the cultural change needs to come from within. But how can we speed it up now? And I've, so I've got two years left. This isn't the culture I want my two boys coming into. So in those two years that I have left, what, how can I slingshot this to the top? And at least start to see that seed planted. I don't have to see the change, but I at least want to see that freaking seed planted right. for my kids. There's more people at the bottom. There's more Indians than chiefs, right? So if you start planting that now, 
What? You say that or you're going to yes. get canceled? Indians in chief. Oh, no. He needs an IA meeting anyway, so that's mm. all right. He, you yeah, need to, to officially be part of the group. Yeah. Here, here's, here, this is, here, here's better. Oh, right. oh, God. You ready? Oh, God. I got There's him, I got him more... railed up. I got him, got him look got at him. Wrong, <laughs> There's more firefighters than chiefs, right? There's more people in the field. Better. More people in the field running calls at the most basic level than there are at the top. The likelihood of you changing the ideology of somebody with that much time on is probably zero. However, people at the bottom will be at the top at some point. So if you start now. Dog, you're missing the point. I'm now we need, you're not going to change. Maybe, maybe the better question to ask, is it possible to change at the top now? Ooh. It's a simple yes or no. I don't think so. No, I don't. I legitimately think that it's like trying to steer the Titanic with a popsicle stick. I like that analogy. Thank you. I just came up with it right now. What do you think? Not the analogy. I don't give a shit about the analogy. The yes or no. I don't know. I think you can, but it's not going to be overnight. Like, in the next day, month, or year. But I think you could get a strong return if you send a strong message. By affecting the message to the, by sending that message to the lowest ranks, you think that within a relative, say five years, change at the I top? I think five's a good one. Maybe even less. I think it depends on the message you send and how you send it. I mean, imagine being a chief of a department and you're saying we want X, Y, and Z. And the entire membership is like, that will not work. No, this is why. Come down here with us. And I'm going to show you why it will not work. Ma imagine how powerful that would be, right? If you had the chief of the department show up for, I don't know, a training evolution, pick whatever evolution you want. I want you guys to, I don't know, use bailout kits and or, I don't want bailout kits in our department. I don't think we need them. And then you show up for training and they say, cool, you're at X, Y, and Z address. You're now trapped. Your rope is 50 feet. It's 20 feet to the bottom. Oh, and by the way, zero visibility, high heat, and you are burning. There's no water. Hydrant's failed. Are you going to jump? Are you going to use this bailout kit? Is it worth the money? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, that might be a really reaching for the grasping at straws for the concept, but I don't know, man. I really think if we band together at the lowest level, I think you can affect change a little bit quicker than you realize. Not to belabor. This is my last point on oh, it. Lucky for you, I don't know what belabor means. I don't. But I do think part of the issue is we're dealing with staffing shortages and hiring crisis and all that. We're just trying to get people through the door. So taking care of their mental health. Sorry, guys, not a priority. I'm trying to get more of you on the job because half of you are quitting and we're not hiring new people. So I think we are against such a force right now. I think we're realizing this is an issue. We're destroying people's lives by not teaching them how to properly take care of themselves. But we're up against that as well. Yeah, I was going to, I keep formulating thoughts of what I want to say next and what topics I want to talk about next. And I was going to say, what's the one change you feel is inevitable for the fire service? But I want to rephrase that. And I think what is the one change we need to make to keep people on board? Because we're talking people with, like yourself, Mike, 16 years of deciding, I don't need the retirement. I'm going to I'm gonna leave now because I just don't want to put up with the hassle. I don't want to put up with the wear and tear. I don't want to put up with whatever. You fill in the blank. Myself, I'm 10 years in. I never planned to make this a job I retired from, but I'm also just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the bullshit. I'm yeah. tired of, obviously the shift sucks. All of that sucks. 
But it's again, going back to that force multiplier where maybe I can affect more change outside of the fire service, but not everyone leaving is doing that. Some people are just leaving to get out of the, out of it altogether. So what's something that you can, we can change that will affect that sleep. desire to leave? Sleep and medical marijuana. Okay. How do you change the sleep issue? But that's a union issue. I mean, just perfect. Then you're a perfect person to answer. <laughs> you walked yourself into it. I, so I it did. did really shift. You're breaking it down to shift change, culture change with naps. That's the simple answer. Get people a better shift. You should never own. Be, oh, you should never have just 24 hours off after not sleeping for 24 hours. Because let's face it, even when I get time in my bunk, it's not real sleep. And that could fly by and I'd wake up. If I am awake practically for 24 hours, I need twice as much time to recover. But we're seeing it. We're seeing more and more people have cardiac events, all these kinds of issues. At younger ages, after drills, after coming off duty, we're destroying our health. Medical marijuana, you and I have had this conversation before. Let's give our people resources that are non-addictive. Let's give our people the ability to, I cannot go home. I live 15 minutes away from my firehouse. If that, I can't go home and go back to sleep. I am wound up as hell. I just came from a stage of fight or flight. There's no goddamn way I can lay down and take a nap. Give me the resource to unwind. Give me the ability to have a non-addictive anxiety, pain med, all these things. I know I'm becoming known as the marijuana lady, whatever. I'm the psychedelic dude. Step up your game. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that sounds cooler. Stop. At the point where I go to conferences now and people stop. Hey, you're the marijuana lady. Right. And you put your face to it and that happens, right? Yeah. So how sleep, medical marijuana, how do you change the shift though? Like how do you convince, talking about convincing leadership again, how do you convince leadership that one shift is the best? Money. You mean one shift schedule? Yeah. Structure. That's all done through financials. You got to show them the cost benefit. I think that's we're going to start. We, like we, that's a tough sell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hold on, says the guy who works. Twenty four seventy two. Twenty four seventy two. Yeah, you got like the best I, schedule I, I, out I of all of us. Somebody, I don't know, I don't remember what department it was. Somebody had a twenty four ninety six. I think it was Seattle. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But somebody out there has a twenty four. I know out west, a lot of them they will have forty eight or fifty six. Forty eight ninety six. And yeah, some yeah. wacky thing. The guys that that I would talk to in Nevada had some 50s, random 56 hour, 58 hour, whatever, and like seven days off. Dude, if I was 48 hours in my station, four days off ain't going to cut it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to jump off the host tower right. by hour, like 25. I think, and we're going back to, to the original question is like the now, what can we affect in the now and how, I don't think we can, no, it's financially, I don't know how well we can, push that that different shift schedule i know that we had always wanted 2472 and then people start arguing about they will still want to make more money and this and that so like we're own worst enemy in that regard too because we know those zombies who can work 48 hours overtime and still somehow survive until it catches up and yeah too you know i'm echoing what stephanie said it's it has to be some sort of sleep thing like I can deal with the most messed up calls, the weirdest stuff, the toughest fires, whatever it might be. But when I'm sleep deprived, even a lift assist, I'm just, I'm furious. I'm like, why am I here? It's like a total, it's a Jekyll and Hyde change. 
And my captain and I, he, and he said it years ago, even when he was still a firefighter, he's like, one day we are going to wake up and see those studies that say the real reason we all die of cancer and cardiac issues is because our sleep is jacked. And he was saying that 10 years ago, and now we're starting to see those studies come out and say that that's why I'm so impatient because 10 years, that's too long. That's too long for something that we all, we trust our gut. We know in our gut, that's what's killing us. Oh, clean calves. Oh, clean your gear, whatever. That's cool. I'm running on two hours of sleep. You'll be lucky if I don't wreck on my way home and a clean cab ain't going to save me. No, I agree with that. It's sleep is, I think it's the most paramount thing that we have going on right now. And the other stuff can affect that. Mer medical marijuana can affect that. Therapy can affect that. Naps can affect that. But I think sleep is the thing that we're all worried about. And it, that is the most damning thing to us other than the fact that other things are killing us. We Everything. can go down. Yeah, we can go down <laughs> many routes. But yeah, so I don't know. I don't know how to make that change other than, like you said, to preach breaks, take a nap, take a nap. And to get out of that old mindset of you have to be going. Yeah. So you show me your, your clock when you had to get out of here. Is there no, no, I'm just saying, just make sure we all, oh. we're, we're all on the same page because I know you guys have a long drive. <laughs> yeah. I came from a firehouse where naps were the biggest sin ever. It's funny how that goes from house to house in some cases. Like you're such a shitbag if you're sleeping during the day. It comes from people who haven't been busy before. And then I ended up at the Beast where the driver's dog, get your sleep when you can. Because it ain't going to happen at night. And even if we don't get those snaps, at least it's less stressful knowing that the possibility. I'm not going to have somebody walk by and kick me if I fall asleep on the couch and call me an asshole for sleeping. They'll be like, hey, man, go to your bunk. Go take a breather or get everything done and then go chill. It's just mind-blowing that, that idea that we have to look busy all the time. Because I got my shift mates, if they listen to this, they're going to be like, my old ones will be like, yeah, he's right. But I got good at appearing busy on those days that I had zero in my tank i'm like let me go do some hazmat suit stuff least amount of energy for the most show that i can get and at least i'm not i'm chilling for a bit but yeah i think that it's important to have that established culture from the informal and the formal leader so if take 20 take 30 take an hour just we'll figure it out just go because i need you I need you well-rested or as rested as you can when we're running five, six after midnight. All right. So sleep, medical marijuana. That, those were your choices, correct? Those are my choices. All right. TJ. Sleep, bro. It's, I say that because I have a story. There, there are two okay. guys that from my current station who rolled out last October. Five years in, I think they left at their five-year anniversary and they went to on to do sales and stuff like that. Good at the job, good firefighters, great EMTs, awesome human beings. But they said, nope, we out. And we had a shift breakfast with them, not even three months later, because they live around. And we show up looking like we just got run over by a train. Oh my God, like we're struggling. And these guys show up and it's eight in the morning and they show up, they look fresh. They're like, yeah, we just came from the gym, did a quick workout. We're excited to have breakfast with you guys. And I was so jealous because I'm like, man, like, what am I, what is this lack of sleep costing me in terms of what I can achieve in life or just my health? 
And that is that really drove home the point that it's the lack of sleep. It's this that, that's killing it. Two months, dude. Two, maybe three months. In the grand scheme of things, that is just a blip. But they made such a change in two months that it just shows you the importance of that good habitual sleep. So, yeah, maybe not an original thought. Well, at least you backed it up. Thank you. There you go. What about you, Mike? Being able to have a work-life balance. I like the word balance. I was thinking about I that think, as well. Let's I hear what you have to say. That's going to always start with the individual. But that comes, again, with something of being able to know how to do it. I don't know if there's any departments out there or if people like really take the reins on teaching their people work-life balance, teaching people to understand to disengage, turn off Pulse Point, oh, fail Facebook. That's a huge one. Turn off Active 911. And it's funny because as we're talking about this, mine keeps going off. Which is ironic, but oh, yeah. but being able to disengage, think you're never fully off work if you keep looking at those things. And you're in a society now where everything's funneled to you through social media, electronics, apps, alerts on your phone. Like I have, a, I have an Apple watch and everything that goes here. And I see this, see, it's right here. All this crap all <laughs> the time. And you can never fully disengage if you don't turn it off. You know what I mean? So I think once you're able to disengage and you're able to have a balance, let people nap when they're tired, be people oriented when it comes to leadership, think it all starts with being with leader, good leadership. It really does. And I'm not just saying that because what I do, I'm just saying it really, it starts with the leader. I think it starts with, if you tell your, not tell your people, honestly, it's, way to say but somehow some way if you were to push off that ideology of you got to have a work-life balance turn this place off when you leave here turn it off who cares it'll be here when you get back yeah just like i promise you they're gonna still run calls when you leave here they don't give a shit what you do on your days off they're gonna still keep marching to the beat of their own drum you should march to your own i think that work-life balance is really important we hear everybody say do you know how much i can make in 24 hours of overtime say, yeah but you know how much you're giving up in 24 hours of overtime Yep. And not only are you giving up chunks of your life, days of your life in overtime, you're perpetuating the problem that we have with staffing. They're not incentivized to to make changes if we're covering those gaps for them anyway. Sure. Because that's where we're making up for that have been terming at the mismanagement. And that's where this mismanagement is coming in. And we're allowing them to mismanage departments constantly because we fill those gaps because, damn, that's those fucking checks are nice when you work 24 hours of overtime. Whether it's forced or not, it's nice to have that money, but we're perpetuating the problem. Yeah. At what cost? And you yeah. also, you, yeah. And you also need to understand what's important, what the priorities in your life should be. So when my father-in-law died, he wasn't surrounded by anybody from a fire department. It was just his family and one good friend. Memories, everything, everything he could talk about, he would talk about. And the day that he was like, I am done. We were there because that's what matters. Overtime didn't freaking matter. The fires didn't, to him it did. But the point is, those are core memories. Those are memories that no one can ever take away from you, nobody could ever put in your brain. You have to experience them for yourself. If you're working overtime or you're too worried about working in a firehouse or too worried about doing something for work or for a person or a job that'll never re reciprocate that, you're wasting your time because you're never gonna get those time back. It's just like a bullet once it's gone forever. Right. So. Well, I, I, I'm, at with that. I'm going to add, I guess, a few of mine that I've been thinking yeah, about the, the changes that should be coming to the fire service in general. And I think we all know some of the things I'm going to say. I think that we need to 
obviously visit. We need to toy with the thought of alternative therapies, whether it be ketamine, whether it be through MDMA, psilocybin, medical marijuana, whatever it is, those have to be opened up as avenues. Special forces are already using Ibogaine and ayahuasca as ways to recover in both mentally and physically. So why should that not be open to first responders who aren't seen maybe as graphic, like as a special forces would see, but we're seeing it repeatedly. Every day we work, we're getting bombarded with these things. Even if they're small, we're still getting bombarded with them. I think that we need to be treated. We need to have the opportunity to use some of these alternative methods to recover and to use therapies. I think saunas need to come to the firehouses. I think that there needs to be some reimagination of the shift work. And I think there needs to be a reimagination of retirement. I think that, and I don't know how to play with that one. I've said it a couple of times on the show. I don't know how to reimagine retirement, but I don't think that we're designed to do this job for 20 years. So how do we incentivize people to do the job to the point where they know that, they, okay, I'm done. I can't do it, but I feel like I, I can't throw away 10 years of my life. You're not throwing it away. It, first of all, it's a cost loss analysis there, but how do we rework it to with not walking away with nothing? Yeah, that's yeah, what that's, I normally get is the silence and the head question. shake. Yeah. So you got me on that one. Yeah. So it, I think that maybe I'm just smart enough to come up with the thought, but I'm not smart enough to process it. And that's been my issue all along. Dude, that is a solid plan. Like everything that you covered, because you hit every single thing that not just we have identified as fire service issues, but that, you know, the study writers and the scientific folks have identified. We just got to figure out how to implement it. We just need to get rich and start doing that on our own terms. Obviously, we can start a church. Like I spoke to a gentleman in Austin. He's a former Marine, former Austin firefighter, and he created a church. And his church has got to do it with ayahuasca and it's psilocybin. And so I was like, maybe we'll just all create a church and we'll just do it that way. Good tax breaks. Yeah. So anything else you guys want to talk about real quick and nothing's quick in this conversation, but is there a topic that anybody really wanted to get out there? Cause I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I hit you with the hills to die on that. That's really what I wanted to hear from everybody. All right. So my show, I get to ask the questions and TJ and Stephanie know what's coming. <laughs> I just need something. I don't give a shit if it's a book or not. I want something that you can give to my audience that they can learn from or just enjoy. And it can be a book, a podcast, music, a video, something on YouTube. I don't care. A movie, just something. Give me something. Who wants to start? Gigi, you go first. Oh, lovely. I've been on a business kick lately, and I found this dude who looks like an absolute lunatic homeless man and is not just jacked muscle-wise, but it is rich beyond the imagination. His name is Alex Hormozzi. And yes, he drops a lot of business knowledge, but the dude has been in dark places where, and he'll openly say that he many times found himself in his balcony of his condo being like, just one step, just one step. So the insights that come from that, granted from a business lens, but when it comes to being patient, to, to giving yourself a long enough time horizon to achieve your goals to being ruthless with the people you cut out of your life who are energy sinks and for putting yourself in a position to think in a way that pushes your boundaries and allows you to break from, for him, is how to make more than hundreds of millions. All those thoughts and all those ideas and insights can apply so well, not just to the fire service, but to our lives. 
So check him out. The dude is a down-to-earth, weird-looking cat with knowledge that he's younger than me. I wish I had that knowledge when I was his age. Perfect. Who wants to go next? Mike's, Mike's busy Mike? looking. Yeah, he's looking it up. Furiously typing. I don't want to say the guy's name wrong. Before he's like this. Oh, I didn't write this, but I would recommend the book, The Score Takes Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. You and I have talked about this book before. You have hit me with so many books. I hit, you with a lot of, I hit you with a lot of books. And <laughs> I got two of them. The Score Takes Care of Itself, because just like football and in life, there's things that you're not going to be able to control. There's things that you're going to be able to control. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you don't want to not be able to prepare yourself with situations. And I think the ideology of that book is it talks about leadership and it talks about just life in general of having a plan. Also, just as in life and everything else, life gets its say in how things work out. Mm. It's not all about what you want. It's not all about how you want it to turn out. But in the moment, it's going to be a lot. But at the end of the day, the score is going to take care of itself. And you need to remember that. All right, so that's one of them. That's one of them. The next one is a book by Robert O'Neill and Dakota Meyer. It's called The Way Forward. It's a very interesting book. And it talks about their hardship before the military, during the military, and after the military, and how to move forward in life. And it's a military book, but basically what they get into is they, both of them had um, events, life event, national life events. So Dakota Meyer had his event where he was awarded, earned, excuse me, earned the Medal of Honor. Robert O'Neill, if you guys know who he is, he's the one that killed Osama bin Laden. So those are life change, life altering events in mortal danger. People died during Dakota Myers event. His morals is why he disobeyed a direct order, went in, did not follow what his chain of command said. And ultimately they were able to, I forget the exact number, but they used a armor truck and saved, I think a dozen people. I don't remember. So his morals made him do it, but his morals started with his foundation when he was younger and his life moving forward. Robert O'Neill was fairly similar, a little bit different, not as, uh, tough, but I think his was more so after the life event, how your life changes is all a matter of how you handle it. So the event is whatever it is and the way forward is how you move forward with it. So that was a good one. And I got one last one. <laughs> now he's one taking a page one. from your book, right? Well, ironically, I like to talk a lot. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's another book and I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of it for leadership and it's called One Bold Away. It's by, written by a guy named Nate Fick. And ultimately, at the end of the day, leadership is a journey. It's not a destination. Just like life is a journey, life's not a destination. You're never going to get there. It's all a matter in which you try to live your life and do your best life. So the book is, he went to, he went to Iraq. They were deployed to Afghanistan. He was, it follows him from his very career in when he went through OCS and then before 9-11, after 9-11, and then everything in between. And there is a lot of ideology in it behind that the leadership may not always support you and serve you, but you can affect the situation and control what you can, which goes back into the score will take care of itself. But it has a lot of really good leadership tidbits in there. And I think any aspiring leader or anyone that is in an informal leadership position can learn from all those books. And I think uh, the overarching theme is you don't, there's no one you can rely on beside yourself, unfortunately. But if you rely on yourself, you do the right thing and you, I don't want to say treat others the way they want to be treated because I hate saying it like that. But if you do those things yourself and then you start teaching those things over time, it's going to spread. 
you're going to create that ripple effect in time. Good deal. I like them. Good books. Stephanie. My name is Stephanie. My favorite podcasts are the things we all care. I'm actually going to hit you with the concept that I'm carrying right now. I'm in the phase of life where I'm doing everything, just every stuff all comes at once, right? That's how it is. It's dead silence. And then all of a sudden you have a million and one projects. And I've discovered that the five feet rule for me is how I have to live at this phase in my life. That is something I have to focus on is the five feet around me, the five people around me and really being present because I was thinking about it the other day. I have two years of calls left to run. And that's not a lot. That's only two years left with a bunch of people that I really love and two years left of experiences. And if I'm constantly scheming about the next thing, checking the email, replying to things, no, I am missing so much of life. So I'm focusing on the five feet around me and the being in the present. And I am trying to carry that forward in life. And it is not easy, especially if you are at all on the spectrum of ADHD or autism or just a fireman, because if you're a fireman, you have one of those two things, I promise you. And yeah, take that as your springtime challenge and carry that forward is step outside. Those five feet will move forward as you move forward, right? So as I leave here and I go to work, those five feet are going to change. Those priorities are going to change. And then they're going to change in the morning when I go home. But that's the five feet I'm going to worry about. I've got two this time and I don't normally add something, but there've been two of the are on my mind. I'm a kind of a nerd when it comes to graduation speeches, commencement speeches. And I don't know if anybody else has ever Googled and listened to them, but one that stuck with me for years is by an author called David Wast- David Foster Wallace, excuse me. And it's called This Is Water. And it talks about what you're talking about. You got seeing the world, not just for not just the bubble that you're in, but seeing the world. But This Is Water is a fantastic commencement speech. It was, I forgot where he gave it and I'm drawing a blank on where he gave it, but it's about 15, 16 minutes long, but it's well worth the listen. It's something that I listen to probably three times a year just because it's good to check back in with it. So if you guys get a chance, Google it, David Foster Wallace, this is water. And the other one I want to, I espouse this belief that I think drugs should be legal, that I think that there's value in any kind of drug. And I know people freak out when they hear me say, what about heroin? Okay, relax. This is what I'm saying. I'm not espousing that everyone should go out and use drugs, but I think that we need to make them legal and make them, there needs to be more of an education about it and what good there is and what bad there is. And along those lines, one of my favorite books is a book by Dr. Carl Hart and it's called Drug Use for Grownups. And I think that everyone should read that. Even if you never plan to smoke a joint or to drop acid or whatever, if you never plan to do it, that's okay. But read a book like that and open your mind to what's out there and why some people would use something like that. And it's not, it's libertarian side of me is saying, yes, legalize all drugs. And it's not, legalized doesn't mean I, I advocate for using all drugs, but there's a use for many of these drugs. And so you guys take a look, read the book, like I said, Dr. Carl Hart, and it's drug use for grownups. Anybody have any parting words? Stack wants to keep this going since the second time he's asked. No, I just, I want to make sure I give everybody their time. Yeah, just take care of each other. Take care of each other. (laughs) (laughs) Take care of each other and affect change where you can. I think, I said it in the beginning, is nobody else is coming for us. We got to take care of ourselves. I hate to say that because it's kind of cliche, but... Dude, you're a walking cliche some days. I am a walking cliche. But see, this is why I love the fire service. Like, this sort of camaraderie, right? uh, Yeah. And I think I'm, I think we all agree it's, 
about the people, man. Yeah, we do tough shit. Yeah, we have to take care of each other. But like, ultimately, I might remember a couple of the really fucked up calls or the good calls that we went on. But it's those people. It's the laughter and the tears and, you know, the brotherhood. Yeah, the brotherhood. The, well, that's the full circle shit right there. I have another full circle too. Goosebumps. No, that's it, dude. You can't go too long. So no, but no, myself. just. We lost TJ. Go go ahead, Mike. Okay. Go ahead. Anyway, yeah. So to tie back in, take care of each other. You got to take care, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And the last quote I have, and I'm a big quote guy, and TJ hates this, which is funny that he went upstairs. But there's a book. It's called The Boy and the Horse, the Fox and the Mole. And in the book, they come to a wood line right? And the horse and the boy are there. And he's like, excuse me, the boy is like, I can't see where I'm going. I don't know where to go. And the horse said, just focus on your next step. So the point that I'm making is with everything, whether you have issues with drinking, people, mental health, whatever it is, I don't care what it is. Focus on your next step. Prioritize what matters and live your life. And I think at the end of the day, you'll be okay. All right, before we close out, tell us where everybody can find you and what you have in the plans. Where do you want to take the podcast? So you can go on to any podcast platform and search Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. I'll come right up. You can go on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I think that's all. And LinkedIn is going to be my name, which is Mike Nasty. You should be able to find me. I think I'm the only one. If not, I'll be the only one that has a background of a Tip of the Spear Leadership Podcast. It should come up. And then Instagram would be at and then tip underscore of the spear leadership with underscores in between on Instagram. My email would be at tip of the spear leadership at gmail.com with periods in between the words. And the goal, the goal of the podcast and the point of why I'm doing what I'm doing is, again, like I said in the beginning, is to create a culture of competent leaders. Something I didn't have when I started. I was young. I was in my 20s when I became an officer and I did a lot of really dumb things. So I hope to take it to the level where someone, I'm not worried about how many, just at least if I can grab one person and hopefully make a difference, that's what I want. And where I'm going is I got nothing to lose. So wherever it goes, I'm happy with. Perfect. Stephanie, where can we find you? You can find me on any of the podcast apps, That Paperwork Firefighter on Instagram or Five After Midnight or any fire engineering publication. You're going to find me on there. LinkedIn, my name, Stephanie White. And email stephanie.k.white at gmail.com. Far as where, is, where am I going? Hopefully back to Virginia at some point today. I think I just want to keep finding that next problem and bringing in the people who are brighter than me to discuss it and find solutions and influence that change from the bottom like Mike has been talking about this whole time. If you want to go far, go by yourself. Or no, crap. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with others. Wait, Listen, if anybody wants to buy Mike some Christmas it. presents, he loves word art with things like live, laugh, love. If you want to go far, go by yourself or I alone or fast. Now I, I know have, what I'm getting I have, live, I have that upstairs, actually. Listen, okay. He does. He does. You haven't noticed? Okay. No, just I'm trying not to puke. All right, TJ, where can we find you? What was the question? I was in the bathroom. Where can we find you and where do you want to take your show? So you can find... Keep the promise on obviously all podcasting platforms. Keep the promise on Instagram. Keep dot the dot promise. You can just search it. Instagram's algorithm is it's good at that. And uh, join keepthepromise.com that tells you everything you need to know about the community we're running and the awesome things that we're doing. As a yeah, Mike. I didn't mean to do that. Uh huh. <laughs> Mister, I yell at people for the phone. Like um, that's a perfect segue. Children. Also, if you want to check out TJ Leather on Instagram or everything like shoptjleather.com, that's what makes me money so I can keep buying podcasting stuff. 
And moving forward, right now I'm surrounded by awesome human beings. I have been very lucky to always find myself in rooms where I am far from being the smartest one. And I want other people to benefit from that as much as I have. So the way forward for Keep the Promise for the podcast and the community is to keep bringing on guests who bring incredible value. And they don't have to be massive ones. Some of the best episodes come from down-to-earth people. So keep bringing value to, to the audience. And within the community, now when we're dealing with ways to affect change, the first order of business is creating a fund that we're going to use to help firefighters and firefighter families when they go to rehab, when they go to the Center for Excellence, and get to the point that we can be that grassroots force for change and for well-being within the fire service on our terms. We don't have to worry about the dinosaurs or the politicians or any of those people that we despise. It's on our terms and we take care of each other. Perfect. I think that's a good spot to end. Thank you very much, all three of you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we're out. Let's go get tacos. 